Welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. Keep the Faith brings you timely messages with in-depth spiritual analysis of current events in light of Bible prophecy so you can prepare for the coming of Jesus. Listen to what the news won't tell you. Here is another important message for our times. This is Pastor Hal Mayer. Dear friends, I'm glad that we have the hope of living eternally with Jesus. Far from the conflicts, chaos, and confusion of an ever more darkened world. When I read the news of violent crime and wars and bloodshed on every hand, I can't help but think of what a wonderful place heaven will be. We must be ready. We must give our hearts to Jesus so that we can be assured of our place in our eternal home. I pray that as you have listened to these sermons each month, that you have been encouraged to come close to Jesus and earnestly seek His face. He wants us all in the kingdom of heaven. Not one of us is so sinful or so weak that he cannot heal and restore and make into a child of the king. If he could restore prostitutes, thieves, and murderers when he was here on earth, he can certainly do the same in our day. You have a wonderful chance to make it all the way and live with Jesus forever. Don't you want that? I do. I'm praying for you. Please pray for me. My sermon this month is entitled, Our Collapsing Constitution, and it is the first of a multi-part series that will address the unraveling constitution of the United States and other constitutions around the world concerning the things that protect their citizens from their governments, and that especially protects their freedom of religion. But before we begin, let us pray and ask the Holy Spirit to teach us. Our Father in heaven, we realize that we are nearing the very close of time and of the return of Jesus. Your people face a serious time, and it is important that we understand the signs of the times. We ask for your Spirit to rest on each listener and on each CD preacher that is sent all over the world to reach hearts with your love and your last warning message. I pray that the message today will touch the hearts of each listener with the nearness of the end and the need to have a personal, most holy place experience with Jesus in the blotting out of their sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 16. We'll begin reading with verse 1. The Pharisees, also with the Sadducees, came, and tempting, desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. The Pharisees and Sadducees were looking for some manifestation of divine power to prove to them that Jesus was the Messiah. But they would not have believed him, even if he had done a miracle. They would have accused him of doing miracles by the power of the devil. And too often in our day, so many of God's people want something to startle them, some new theory to shake them and awaken them. They want some obvious manifestation of divine power to show them that the time is here for them to get ready for the end times. The trouble is, my friends, most people are thinking about peace and safety. They don't realize that sudden destruction is lurking for them. They are deceived into thinking that their lives and the world will go on and on, as it has for hundreds of years. 
Many of God's people think that the end will come someday, but not in their lifetime. Perhaps it will be in their children's generation or their grandchildren's generation, but not in their own. They think that it is still far off and that they don't really have to concern themselves too much with it. They realize that there are incremental movements that are leading up to the crisis at the end, but they think that they can't happen so fast that it will surprise them and take them unawares. They can even listen to sermons showing them the signs of the times and how close we are to the close of probation, but it doesn't sink in. It doesn't make sense to them to get their spiritual lives together quite yet. This is dangerous thinking, my friends. We are living in the most important time in earth's history. God wants to warn the world and win a lot of souls, but the vast majority of his professed people are doing nothing to help their neighbors or to win souls for the kingdom of heaven. Please, my friends, at least get some literature and hand it out wherever you go. You can at least order cases of last-generation magazines from Heartland so that you can leave attractive present truth in their hands. Just as an aside, if you want to contact Last Generation Magazine, please call them at 877-527-8436 or email them at subscriptions at lastgen.net. That's subscriptions at L-A-S-T-G-E-N dot net. They can tell you how you can get these power-packed magazines in bulk. And by the way, my wife Betsy is the editor. She and her team are doing a wonderful job of creating magazine after magazine full of present truth, ready to deliver, and they can help you think of ways to distribute it, too. The Constitution of the United States is very connected to prophecy. The United States is the lamb-like beast of revelation that eventually speaks as a dragon. It will become a persecuting power that will repress all who do not go along with the prescribed worship of Rome and her authority. Rome will con control the United States behind the scenes. The Constitution of the United States is designed to protect against such things. But wonder of wonders, it doesn't in the end. The Constitution will be overturned or repudiated. Let us put it into the larger context of Rome's agenda to take over the world again. This is from Great Controversy, page 566. Rome is employing every device to extend her influence and increase her power in preparation for a fierce and determined conflict to regain control of the world, to reestablish persecution, and to undo all that Protestantism has done. Catholicism is gaining ground on every side. See the increasing number of her churches and chapels in Protestant countries. Look at the popularity of her colleges and seminaries in America, so widely patronized by Protestants. Look at the growth of ritualism in England and the frequent defections to the ranks of the Catholics. These things should awaken the anxiety of all who prize the pure principles of the gospel. Here's what Ellen White says about the U.S. Constitution. This is also from Great Controversy, page 441. The Constitution guarantees to the people the right of self-government, providing that representatives elected by the popular vote shall enact and administer the laws. Freedom of religious faith was also granted, every man being permitted to worship God according to the dictates of his conscience. 
republicanism, and protestantism became the fundamental principles of the nation. These principles are the secret of its power and prosperity. The oppressed and downtrodden throughout Christendom have turned to this land with interest and hope. Millions have sought its shores, and the United States has risen to a place among the most powerful nations of the earth. Let me tell you a secret. Did you know that the original 13 colonies were all religious, persecuting colonies except for one? That's right. All of them were adherents of one faith or another, and to one degree or another they were intolerant of other religious viewpoints. Even though most of them came to the new world for religious freedom, it was only for themselves. The Puritans or Congregationalists in Massachusetts, for example, persecuted the Baptists who came into their colony. The Anglicans in Virginia persecuted the Baptists too because they would not accept a license from the government to preach in Virginia. The Baptists said, The Bible is our license. The government has no right to license the preacher. Now here is the secret. Why were there so many different religious colonies in early America? There were Puritans in Massachusetts, Quakers in Pennsylvania, Dutch Reformed in New York, Catholics in Maryland, Anglicans in Virginia, etc. Why were there so many different religions? Why didn't God just arrange one big colony with one big religion? You see, he was arranging matters so that the colonies would have to face an important question about religious liberty. When they formed the new government after breaking from England, they would have to decide which one of these religions would be the established state-sponsored religion. Would it be the Puritans, Anglicans, Dutch Reformed, or Catholics? This was quite a dilemma. If it would be any one of them, there would be conflict with all the others. They had to squarely address this issue. In the end, they took the position that none of the various colonial religions would become the established faith. In fact, they decided that there must be a separation of church and state so that no religion would ever dominate the new land in government, and so that the people would never have to face persecution for following their conscience. That's how the U.S. Constitution came to have separation of church and state. God set them up to make the right decision. There was just enough persecution to make it clear to everyone that a state dominated by a church is unhealthy for liberty of conscience. The Constitution of the United States guarantees liberty of conscience. Nothing is dearer or more fundamental and important to the prosperity of the nation. But these ideals were not to last forever. For Revelation 13 tells us that the wonderful land of freedom would one day persecute those who do not obey her religious laws. My friends, we are going to go backwards, not forwards. We are not going to have peace and safety. We are going to be at war, especially spiritually, with the oppressive regimes that are presently arising. We must keep our prophetic eye on the U.S. Constitution especially. This is one of the signs of the times. God is not going to strike with lightning so that God's people will see it somehow at the last minute and get ready. The U.S. Constitution is a strong indicator of where we are in time. Pay attention to the news that affects the Constitution 
such as Supreme Court rulings, presidential actions, legal changes, etc. All these things impinge in one way or another on the Constitution. Listen to the relevant part of the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Here's what God's prophet says about it. From Great Controversy, page 442, we read, Only a flagrant violation of those safeguards to the nation's liberty can any religious observance be enforced by civil authority. But it is the beast with lamb-like horns in profession pure, gentle and harmless, that speaks as a dragon. How could it be that the United States, so protected by the Constitution, would give up its liberties? That is what the Bible actually predicts. I will read again from the book Great Controversy, page 442 and 443, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast. That's Revelation 13, 14. Here is clearly presented a form of government in which the legislative power rests with the people, a most striking evidence that the United States is the nation denoted in the prophecy. That nation will one day model the papacy's principles, forming a look-alike, an image by mixing church and state and persecuting God's people in the same way. As the papacy gained temporal power, she became controlling and persecuting by using the power and sword of the states to persecute those who did not agree with her doctrines. How will this ever happen again? After all, there is such a wide variety of churches and doctrines around today that it seems impossible for there to be a forced uniformity of religion. But let us remember, my friends, that the focus in prophecy is not on the prospect of getting all churches to become uniform in all their doctrines. Only one, Sunday observance. Rome certainly wants full, visible communion of all churches with the Church of Rome, but that is not likely to happen. It is far more likely that an urgent issue involving widespread fear and mass hysteria will galvanize the churches to pressure legislative bodies to enact into law the one doctrine on which they can all agree, Sunday observance. There will be a few who will not go along, but the government will be instructed by the people to deal with them. As was the papacy of old, the United States, by the pressure of its own people on its legislative bodies, will use the arm of the state to enforce the demands of the church, united on this one platform. It is the ecumenical movement that has gotten the churches positioned to take this one step when the time is right, and the angels holding back the winds of strife are instructed to let them loose. The forces of evil are only waiting to take these steps. Pope Pius IX, in his encyclical letter of August 15, 1854, said, The absurd and erroneous doctrines or ravings in defense of liberty of conscience are a most pestilential error, a pest of all others most to be dreaded in a state. The same Pope, in his encyclical letter of December 8, 1864, anathemized those who assert the liberty of conscience and of religious worship, 
Also, all such as maintain that the church may not employ force. This rather impious pope proclaimed that the very principles of the United States are an anathema. Last month, we learned that one of the Catholic Supreme Court justices, Antonin Scalia, has joined Pope Pius IX in denouncing the separation of church and state at a Knights of Columbus rally in 2004, a principle which he was sworn to uphold. And when you see the way in which President Bush is pandering to the Catholic vote like no other president in history, it sends a clear signal that we are headed for serious problems in the near future with religious liberty. Says Bishop O'Connor, religious liberty is merely endured until the opposite can be carried into effect without peril to the Catholic world. The Archbishop of St. Louis once said, Heresy and unbelief are crimes, and in Christian countries, as in Italy and Spain, for instance, where all the people are Catholics and where the Catholic religion is an essential part of the law of the land, they are punished as other crimes. And that's taken from Great Controversy, page 565. By the decree enforcing the institution of the papacy in violation of the law of God, our nation will disconnect herself fully from righteousness. When Protestantism shall stretch her hand across the gulf to grasp the hand of the Roman power, when she shall reach over the abyss to clasp hands with spiritualism, when under the influence of this threefold union our country shall repudiate every principle of its constitution as a Protestant and Republican government, and shall make provision for the propagation of papal falsehoods and delusions, then we may know that the time has come for the marvelous working of Satan, and that the end is near. That familiar statement is from the fifth volume of the Testimonies, page 451. We have to watch the Constitution as it is rapidly being gutted. The Founding Fathers recognized that government is always the greatest threat to liberty. George Washington likened the government to fire, a dangerous servant and a fearful master. The original and continuing aim of the Constitution has been to protect the individual against the government and to give them liberty from the government so that the government would leave the people alone. The federal government was intended to be a servant to the states, doing only those things which are explicitly assigned to it in the Constitution or that the states specifically request it to handle. September 11, 2001, provided the best opportunity for the repudiation and dismembering of the principles of the U.S. Constitution by creating an environment of fear. It emotionally neutralized most citizens, preventing them from opposing attempts to control their lives far more than they could have ever imagined. Now, in the name of fighting terrorism, the United States and the nations around the world are implementing the very principles that once were the driving force of the Papal Inquisition. I plan to share these with you over the sermons in this series. First, let us look at the principles found in the first ten amendments of the Constitution. One of them is privacy. A free society has the right of privacy. The persecution against God's people is going to be about what they believe and practice, a private matter. 
They will be prosecuted because they do not accept certain religious ideas and do not obey laws based on those ideas, such as Sunday worship laws. Though the Fourth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution does not mention privacy, it is nevertheless implied in its principle. The Fourth Amendment says, The right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated, and no warrants shall issue but upon probable cause, supported by oath or affirmation and particularly describing the place to be searched, and the persons or things to be seized. One of the key elements for Rome to gain control of America and undo religious liberty is to remove the right of privacy and change the way the people and their government views and practices surveillance of its own citizens. This is also a key element in the Inquisition. Technology back then wasn't anything like it is today. But Rome became very good at spying on the citizens of its client states, especially through the confessional. The Fourth Amendment clearly protects the privacy of the individual in his home and his papers and effects, even if not in his home, against unwarranted warranted governmental intrusion, and that any intrusion must be supported by a warrant. If a branch of the U.S. government wants to investigate any of its citizens and invade their privacy, the law currently requires that it must get a warrant from the relevant court to do so, on the argument that there is probable cause, to believe that the person is involved in some kind of criminal activity. And this must be supported by an oath. There is even a secret court called the FISA court, established in 1978, which authorizes warrants in national security cases. The FISA court has only denied six out of over 13,000 government warrant requests in the almost three decades of its existence. But the Bush administration has complained that the court is too cumbersome and it doesn't want to use warrants in its investigations, but would rather do them without any accountability to the courts or to Congress, a common feature of dictatorships. The Bush administration is working very hard at increasing the power of the presidency and minimizing the power of other branches of government to keep a check on the executive branch. The Bush administration, through executive order and without court oversight, authorized the National Security Agency after September 11 to spy on and gather information on Americans, whether suspected of involvement in terrorism or not. The Pentagon expanded its domestic surveillance activity beyond any previous time in history, said the New York Observer on December 28, 2005. It breaks into homes, wiretaps, and eavesdrops at will, and builds secret dossiers on citizens while arguing that there can be no judicial review of its activities. President George W. Bush, the observer continued, argues that there can be no judicial review of any decisions he makes when he decides whether an alien or an American citizen is or is not an enemy combatant. And Congress supports this and so does the judiciary. When the warrantless eavesdropping program was first revealed, 
the Bush administration tried to minimize its scope and excuse it on the basis that it was too cumbersome to get warrants, even though the secret FISA court almost universally granted them. Eventually, it was revealed that the administration has been conducting an enormous, intrusive campaign to build databases of the details of Americans' lives. According to the New York Times, the government was tapping millions of Americans' international phone calls and emails through the main switches and servers located strategically throughout the country. Then USA Today reported on May 11, 2006, that the National Security Agency has been secretly collecting the phone call records of tens of millions of Americans using data provided by AT&T, Verizon, and Bell South. The NSA program, said the paper, reaches into homes and businesses across the nation by amassing information about the calls of ordinary Americans, most of whom aren't suspected of any crime. Though the program doesn't involve listening to the conversations, according to the Bush administration, the spy agency is using the data to analyze calling patterns in an effort to detect terrorist activity, said USA Today. It's the largest database ever assembled in the world, said one person interviewed by the paper. The agency's goal is to create a database of every call ever made within the nation's borders. The government argues that it is not breaking the law to do this. Yet it is part of the larger plan to gain intelligence information on individual citizens that the government wants to use for its own purposes. On May 12, 2006, the New York Times reported that since the wiretapping program was exposed, the Bush administration has depicted it as a narrow examination of calls made by and to suspected terrorists. And CNSnews.com said, The president noted that there are strict limits on the program and that Attorney General Alberto Gonzalez rejected the notion that the United States is somehow spying on American citizens. Mr. Bush also claimed on May 11, 2006, that we're not mining or trolling through the personal lives of millions of innocent citizens. Our efforts are focused on links to al-Qaeda and their known affiliates. Even if that were true, what would prevent future presidents from further eroding the Fourth Amendment and doing more intrusive data mining on innocent Americans? In fact, it was originally stated that the wiretapping was only between those calls with at least one end of the conversation outside the USA, and that it did not include calls made wholly within the U.S. But it turns out that there is much more. The program is far beyond the President's claim and includes analysis of all calls made, even when both parties are within U.S. borders. This represents trillions of calls used in an elaborate data mining operation, according to the Washington Post of May 12. The New York Times commented that if all the details of the program are confirmed, the invasion of privacy is substantial. By cross-referencing phone numbers with databases that link numbers to names and addresses, the government could compile dossiers of what people and organization each American is in contact with, said the Times, 
as it described the domestic spying as breathtaking in scope. What we have here, continued the Times, is a clandestine surveillance program of enormous size with no limits or scrutiny. If the White House had gotten its way, the program would have run secretly until the War on Terror ended, that is, forever. Either President Bush was not forthcoming with the facts, or he is tacitly accusing 200 million Americans of being linked to the terrorists. To claim that the government is not trolling through the personal lives of millions of innocent Americans does not have credibility because of the scope of the surveillance. Neither does his statement given in a speech on April 20 that when we're talking about chasing down terrorists, we're talking about getting a court order before we do so. If President Bush is willing to lie about the scope of the program, what else is he not telling the public? What other constitutional principles are being sacrificed of which citizens are unaware? The Bush administration doesn't tell the public anything they don't find out on their own. The president generally only defends his actions against their objections to what they already know. It is very interesting that the man who created and was directing the spying program at the NSA, General Michael Hayden, was successfully appointed to head the CIA recently by President Bush. Under pressure from Vice President Dick Cheney, he was the chief architect of the domestic eavesdropping program at the NSA. CBS News on May 14, 2006, said that Sunday's edition of the Times revealed that Vice President Cheney played a far greater role in developing the spying program. Two senior intelligence officials told the Times that shortly after the September 11 attacks, Cheney pressed the NSA to intercept domestic phone calls and emails without warrants. General Hayden defended bypassing the secret FISA court in conducting eavesdropping on American citizens, claiming that the process was too slow and cumbersome, and that getting the warrants means that they must marshal arguments and submit paperwork in doing so. The problem is, if these things are not done, there's no accountability, another feature of the Inquisition. Significantly, General Hayden is a Roman Catholic and would likely work loyally to establish Rome's system of inquisitorial principles. Whatever the reasons or excuses given, the developing legal capabilities of the government to spy on Americans is more akin to the principles of the Inquisition than the protections afforded by the Constitution. When a reporter pressed General Hayden about violating the Fourth Amendment with the wiretapping program at the NSA, the general did not acknowledge the required probable cause in the Fourth Amendment, but insisted that the warrantless eavesdropping on American citizens and the collection of data is not unconstitutional because the amendment says that Americans are only protected from unreasonable search and seizure. The questioner, as quoted in editor and publisher May 8, 2006, pressed again, saying that the amendment requires the government to affirm that there is probable cause. General Hayden again ignored the point and insisted that it only says unreasonable search and seizure. If the Fourth Amendment only requires that government officials determine that a search and seizure is reasonable, 
then the Fourth Amendment would have no value at all, and a government could conduct any search and seizure it believes to be reasonable. President Bush not only wants this power, but he wants it without any kind of oversight by the courts or Congress. The Fourth Amendment is constructed so that it defines reasonable as only applying to searches that involved court warrants based on probable cause. The American Bar Association, of which most of the nation's lawyers are members, expressly condemned the program as a blatant violation of the law and urged the president to respect the essential roles of Congress and the judicial branch and to ensure that national security is protected in a manner consistent with constitutional guarantees. This speaks volumes about the spying program. Incidentally, the same issues are applicable to credit cards, bank transactions, and other types of information. If God's people are going to have their accounts frozen, as it says in Revelation 13, so that they cannot buy or sell, these tactics must be in place as settled law. These principles are in the process of being put in place in the name of fighting terror at a time when it is relatively easy to do so. The disclosures of USA Today about the scale of the surveillance touched off a bipartisan uproar against President Bush, said the Washington Post. Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman Arlen Specter vowed to haul telephone companies before his committee under oath to ferret out details the Bush administration refuses to supply and more than 50 House Democrats signed a letter demanding a criminal investigation by a special counsel. President Bush defended the program, as usual, by invoking the terrorist attacks of September 11. The intelligence activities I have authorized are lawful, he said, claiming that the law authorizing him to use force against terrorism implicitly authorizes him to ignore the Constitution. But how would spying on virtually all Americans qualify as using force against the terrorists? The government doesn't need detail on all citizens. The spy agencies can focus on genuine suspects without putting the regular citizens at risk. What is clear, continued the Washington Post, is that a surveillance program of enormous magnitude involving the presumptively private data of almost all Americans appears to have taken place with no public debate, no judicial review, and only the slightest congressional oversight. Americans have no understanding of what, if any, controls exist on this information, with its potential for abuse. They do not know how the NSA or other government agencies are using it, and it isn't very likely that the type of information one can glean from it will ever help win the war on terrorism, said the International Herald Tribune. Let us remember that intelligence gathering on ordinary citizens was one of the benchmarks of papal dominance in the Dark Ages. Through the confessional, Rome gained considerable information on all manner of people and their private lives. Rome never changes. If the Vatican were to use the United States to assist in its quest to regain control of the world, eavesdropping on Americans' private lives would be vitally important. Rome would be very pleased with the U.S. government's development of the tools of power to spy on its citizens. This fits in perfectly with her agenda.
Did you hear any protests from the priests? I didn't. Speaking of the data collection in a press conference on May 23, 2006, Attorney General Alberto Gonzalez stated that those kinds of records do not enjoy Fourth Amendment protection. There is no reasonable expectation of privacy in those kinds of records. And while it is true that much consumer data is already available, perhaps more available than it should be, there is no basis in the Constitution to permit a government to collect that kind of wholesale data on innocent Americans for intelligence purposes. The Fourth Amendment was designed to prevent that, regardless of technology or availability. Most companies are very careful to protect the privacy of transactions with customers. People reasonably expect that businesses can do that for their own business reasons without sharing that information without their permission. The government's claim that it can conduct searches of customer records at will removes yet another protection of privacy under the Fourth Amendment. The government could subpoena company records of specific individuals or entities under a court warrant, but that requires the seizure to be based on probable cause and very a very important protection. For a government to collect general data on all citizens is a violation of their rights and of the Constitution, which was designed to protect those rights. On August 10, 2006, USA Today reported on a meeting with Mr. Chertoff, head of Homeland Security. Michael Chertoff said Tuesday that Americans need to ease their concerns about turning over personal information to the government, especially if they want to fly safe from terrorism. The average American gives information up to get a CVS or drugstore discount card that is far more in-depth than the Transportation Security Agency is going to be looking at. Chertoff told reporters and editors at USA Today's headquarters. A drugstore, or chemist, is not an intrusive government enforcement agency. Americans don't fear giving up this kind of information since they think it isn't going to be used in a way that they disapprove. When a customer gives a company information in order to fulfill a transaction, he is doing so with a reasonable expectation that the information he provides will be kept confidential between him and the company, unless there is due process through court warrants. Alberto Gonzalez, President Bush, and others on their team are trying to reshape Americans' expectations of the Constitution. To say that he cannot hold the expectation of confidentiality in a private business transaction is like saying that he cannot always expect his car brakes to work. It creates a certain low-grade fear of Big Brother government, similar to the oppression of the people in the Middle Ages under Roman Catholicism. If the image of the beast, that is, if a copy of Rome's principles is going to be developed in the new world, this kind of social restructuring must take place. Business transactions are part of one's personal and private affairs, and hence should remain confidential. Businesses who yield to government demands without due process of court warrants do not understand that relationship and do not deserve to have the confidence of their customers. Incidentally, Quest, one of the telecommunications companies approached by the government for customer records, refused to comply, 
even under the severe threat of losing government contracts. God bless them. But this is only the beginning. USA Today continued, Chertoff added that we're still in a very primitive model of how we screen people. Millions of passengers get extra airport security or are barred from flights each year when their names resemble terrorism suspects. If the lawlessness of the government in violating the Constitution is only in its primitive stages, what, may I ask, is yet to come? Perhaps we're going to see much more intrusiveness in the future. Perhaps we're going to see the words of the prophet fulfilled in every detail as every principle of the U.S. Constitution is repudiated, not by legislative action, but by presidential fiat. Most people aren't so concerned about these things because they aren't thinking about how it could be used in the future. Don't think that this program is limited in, to America. Once developed in the land of the free, it will begin in other nations, if not already, where there is less concern about personal liberties. There are other methods of surveillance that are being presently developed beyond eavesdropping and data mining so that normal citizens can be tracked. The new requirements for international flights require that all passengers' details be cross-checked with government terrorist lists. Within the next year or so, all U.S. driver's licenses are required to comply with the new federal standards so that they can be linked to a federal database that would collect data on ordinary citizens. This particular technology could easily be used to authorize or deny transactions at point of sale and on the Internet and could be the means of organizing personal data for use in government investigations. On May 30, 2006, CNETnews.com reported that Attorney General Alberto Gonzalez and FBI Director Robert Mueller had a closed-door meeting with Internet Service Provider Executives, that's ISP Executives, to pressure them to keep their customers' Internet subscriber information and network data. One proposal presently in the U.S. Congress would require any ISP that enables users to access content must retain records that would permit police to identify each user for at least a year after the account was closed. The European Parliament recently approved a requirement for Internet, telephone, and voice-over Internet service providers. The European legislation requires the retention of a wide range of detail concerning traffic and location data, including the identities of the customer's correspondence, the date, time, and duration of phone calls, voice-over Internet protocol calls, or email messages, and the location of the device used for the communications. But the content of communications is not supposed to be retained, said CNETnews.com. While content is not presently required, would it be possible that it would be required in the future, once the concept has been legally tested and has become a settled statute. In the U.S. and Britain, new technology is being tested to let shoppers pay by fingerprint. 2.5 million customers in the U.S. are presently signed up to pay for their purchases this way, according to the BBC, March 8, 2006. While voluntary at the moment, eventually this could become mandatory. 
Imagine going to the store and having to pay by your fingerprint, scanned into the computers and linked to your bank account and other databases, both government and commercial. The best minds around the world are working on methods that strengthen the capabilities of governments to gather intelligence on their citizens in the name of fighting terrorism. As this surveillance program develops, the United States is taking one more step to becoming the beast that speaks as a dragon. Through confusing the issues, the new intelligence-gathering program is being conducted by stealth, taking away one more pin of the Constitution that protects the rights of the people. Rome is no doubt very happy to see this development. What should concern all of God's people is how these tools will be used when the new enemy is God's true people who keep his law and find themselves outside the laws of the land. Once well developed, the legal challenges processed, you can expect that they will be ready for use against a new enemy. It's worth reminding ourselves that every principle of the Constitution will be repudiated. The devil hates the U.S. Constitution and any national documents anywhere in the world that give liberty to their citizens to follow their conscience. Rome also hates these same things and is working with the leaders of government to make sure that when issues arise that require legislative attention, she is on hand to influence lawmakers to frame laws more and more consistent with canon law. Remember that Rome is seeking to re-establish persecution and to undo all that Protestantism has done. Great Controversy, page 581, says, And let it be remembered, it is the boast of Rome that she never changes. The principles of Gregory VII and Innocent III are still the principles of the Roman Catholic Church, and had she but the power, she would put them in practice with as much vigor now as in past centuries. Protestants little know what they are doing when they propose to accept the aid of Rome in the work of Sunday exaltation. While they are bent upon the accomplishment of their purpose, Rome is aiming to re-establish her power to recover her lost supremacy. Let the principle once be established in the United States that the Church may employ or control the power of the state, that religious observances may be enforced by secular laws, in short, that the authority of the church and state is to dominate the conscience, and the triumph of Rome in this country is assured. God's word has given warning of the impending danger. Let this be unheeded, and the Protestant world will learn what the purposes of Rome really are, only when it is too late to escape the snare. She is silently growing into power. Her doctrines are exerting her influence in legislative halls, in the churches, and in the hearts of men. She is piling up her lofty and massive structures in the secret recesses of which her former persecutions will be repeated. Stealthily and unsuspectedly, she is strengthening her forces to further her own ends when the time shall come for her to strike. All that she desires is vantage ground, and this is already being given her. We shall soon see and shall feel what the purpose of the Roman element is. 
Whoever shall believe and obey the word of God will thereby incur reproach and persecution. My friends, as quickly as we are seeing these things develop, should we not take heed and prepare? Should we not let Jesus have control of our lives in a most full and complete way? The only place where you can have protection is in the secret place of the Most High. That means obedience to God's law. That means applying Jesus' sacrifice and the principles of His grace in your life fully and completely. May God help us, is my prayer. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for providing for your people. As we see the nations of the world gathering against the soul of the righteous, we need the certainty of your protection and care. Please, Father, as we near the time of trouble, give us your peace, give us your presence, and may we ever more earnestly seek your face. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. i